in doing the research for your book, um, what has been sort of a more scary part of what you've learned about our privacy or lack of privacy? <laughs> I, I think that it's, it's less scary and it's more just frustrating. Uh, it's, so I break it up as it's just like for people who um, haven't read the book, I, I don't really deal with privacy as it involves like the federal government. Sure. Uh, because I think we lost that battle a hundred years ago <laughs> um, when they passed the Espionage Act and the World War One uh, laws. Mm. Along with that, um, and then the, the Patriot that, Act afterwards, yeah. after nine eleven. So even worse. And then I've got, yeah. I mean, so I've got, and I've got into debates. Like I know people on both sides. Like I've met people from the NSA or people that have worked in cyber law for like the mm. Pentagon or yeah, different military institutions. And I, you know, I've. I've heard their arguments, and then I've also, I also know the arguments on the other side for mm. privacy advocates when the government is involved. And so, uh, I don't deal with that mm-hmm. necessarily. So I, w- I just want to put that aside. Right? Sure. Like I just want to. So when we we're talking about privacy, or I'm talking purely about like Facebook, Google, right, uh, a- Apple, and then all the the hundreds of data brokers out there that you've never heard of, mm-hmm. uh, they're collecting this <laughs> stuff. And so my attitude is, you know, the, the frustrating thing is we can fix this. Yeah. We just have to do it. You know, like mm. We just have to have. The, and so uh, the nice thing that's happened since the book has come out is that in the state of California, I believe in 2020, uh, they are going to have a privacy law come on the books that's very similar to GDPR over in the European Union, which would. So uh, let me back up. <laughs> what GDPR is, for people that don't know, is it changes the way we handle privacy. Like right now, everything uh, you really have no say in what happens. Like you click sure. on the terms of service, but you know, it's not really consensual, mm-hmm. you know, like you're kind of bullied into signing that terms of service. Cause if you don't, then you can't use the platform. Right. Uh, and then once you've signed that terms of service, the American tech companies could do whatever they want to you. Sure. So over in Europe, they were kind of like, yeah, we would like you to not do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> they've, they've now put the emphasis on uh, the, the company as opposed to the user where the user can now opt out at any time and be like, yeah, I want my data back or I would like you to delete my data. Sure. So it really puts the power back in, in the consumer's hands. And so California is putting a law on the books that that will also allow for that to happen for mm. California residents, which is awesome because what that means uh, in not too short of order, uh, New York will probably do the same thing. Sure. And then at that point, we should see at least among at least, at least among the blue states, uh, we should at least see them start to pass similar laws, uh, yeah. so which makes which makes a lot of what I talk about in the book irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. Because they're now solving the problem. But the frustrating thing was as I was researching the book since 2015, it was like, you know, it's not a big deal for these companies to pay you for your data. Mm. You know, like it's not hard for them to do because they there's these transactions happening on a micro level every minute that you're that you're on Facebook. Or like sure. when you go to your favorite website, it's not just your favorite website that loads, it's hundreds of trackers that also load. Right, uh, and there's ways you can protect yourself using things like Privacy Badger mm-hmm. or, a v- or a VPN, or if you really want to get crazy, uh, using something like Tor or uh, or Brave, sure. the browser. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people won't do that, by the way. But like, there's no reason why in a in the part in in the process of that transaction they can't send you a few cents mm-hmm. because it's your it's your data that's being monetized in the first place. Sure, <laughs> and so yeah, it's a long way of saying like 
I, I was just frustrated by like the greed, the absolute greed, yeah. and kind of short sightedness. Yeah, uh, and I, that's something I saw when I was researching social media's bullshit. Is is you know Silicon Valley companies are incredibly greedy. They're incredibly short sighted. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that people working for them are bad. I want to be you know I want to be kind of clear that I'm not saying right. everyone. Um, but when you know push comes to shove, they they will do everything they can to make money. Right, and right. they will do that at the expense of the user, which I think is short sighted because it erodes your relationship. To the user and like just as you know as a musician the relationship to your audience is all you have yeah <laughs> and you just if you destroy that you will not get it back like i look right. at someone like louis ck yeah and i don't know if louis ck will ever be able to to make a comeback i think sure. for a significant for a significant portion of his audience they will not come back yeah um you know uh, that's nothing again, you know, regardless of what, what, what you think of Louie, mm-hmm. uh, that's just the nature of if you burn your audience, they won't come back. And what's going to happen with these tech companies uh, is there will be this, not like a day of reckoning, but slowly over time, there will be like a series of reckonings. Yeah. Uh, and it's already starting to happen with like Facebook stock price. Yeah. Where if they have eroded user confidence and they don't know if they can keep them. Right, uh, and so it becomes this question of all right, well, how viable is Facebook if if it's if its most valuable audience, which is the United States and the United Kingdom, uh, mm-hmm. is now actively losing users, you know, and then advertisers are going to start to abandon the platform. Well, what does that mean for the future of that company? Right, and and that's something that I've uh, talked with friends about. I mean, being a musician, we we do have to uh, promote ourselves, uh, and you know share our shows and stuff like that. And so if, you know, if everyone just decides, ah, we're done with Facebook, uh, which kind of might also mean we're done with Instagram. And so what alternatives do we have as musicians, as self-promoting people to be able to like have a, a platform for people to see our things and have them not be buried and be able to invite them and all of these sort of features that make it really convenient for us as musicians um, and, you know, public people that are trying to share our stuff, uh, what, what is the alternative to Facebook? So it's very old school. Um, <laughs> like it's email. Yeah. It's, it's always been email. Email has never <laughs> gone away. Like that's the thing that I, I think if I, you know, I'm revising social media's bullshit right now. Mm. Um, so, and one of the things that I talk about is I think I look back at the amount of time we all lost building mm-hmm. audiences on Facebook and Facebook turning around and making it impossible to reach that audience and <laughs> building an audience on Twitter and Twitter turning around and making it impossible to reach that audience. Right. Think of the, just the amount of time that you could have spent building up your email list. Mm-hmm. And that, that angers me like very few things anger me, but that actively upsets me <laughs> uh, because it, all of us, we would have been in a better position had we been mm-hmm. building our email list because Email is not perfect. I mean, if you want to really get into the weeds, there's all sorts of technical stuff like deliverability and you know what you have to do to optimize that. And then Gmail doesn't make it easy because Gmail likes to put things in uh, different labels without your permission, which is super right. annoying. Um, <laughs> but you know, putting that aside, uh, email has always been the best one-to-one form that you have. And if you don't like email, then you could just text your customers. Like I have my actual phone number on my website. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. You, you can text me. I won't. I won't answer if you call. Like it says on the site, I won't. No, I won't. And, and funny things happen. Like people will send me pictures of um, 
of Richard Nixon. <laughs> or, or I'll get pictures of like of Dick Cheney. Because mm. uh, I said on the podcast, please don't send me any dick pics. Oh, there you uh, go. So, <laughs> yeah, so now, no, like every, everyone's being, everyone made the same joke at once, uh, <laughs> which is funny. And, you know, like I'm not, I'm not want to be clear. I'm not complaining about it. Right. Uh, but everyone had the same response of, oh, I'm really funny and clever. So I'm going <laughs> to send DJ a picture of Richard Nixon uh, or Dick Cheney. And so that, that's honestly what you do. Like if you are a musician, uh, you know, I remember like, so there was this Peruvian jazz band that I loved. Cause I, I loved the saxophonist. I had such a crush on her. <laughs> uh, and so I was always giving them like free advice and I just, anything I do like to, to work with them and talk to them. But right. that was one of the things we figured out, especially in jazz, you know, jazz, like I'm, I, you know, I love jazz, but I know it's a very limited audience. Right. Like it's nowhere near as big as like rock music or country right. music. You but, also live in New York. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Like you have to, but you have to, you have to live in the metro area. <laughs> Well, that, that's not true. Uh, like Iowa, uh, I've been told, has like a jazz scene. Hmm. And then, um, crap, there's another college town that you would never think of it because it's <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. But it also has a big jazz scene. So uh, there's a lot of college towns where, where they do have big jazz scenes. Hmm. Uh, so anyway, so one of the things we, we figured out was, all right, because you're a jazz band, um, you have a very wealthy audience. So why don't you do something awesome? And they're like, we do, we, we take them on trips to Peru. Oh, and that's, that's the thing that they, I don't know if they do it anymore. Cause Laura has since, uh, she's gotten married and has a kid. So I, I don't know if they're still doing it, but for, mm. um, for a long time, that was their thing. Like that was their hook was we know that we don't have many jazz listeners, but we know that those listeners have money. <laughs> and a lot of those listeners happen to be baby boomers who are looking for stuff to do. So <laughs> we're going to take them to Peru, mm. which, which is fucking amazing. Mm. Um, and that's, so that's kind of the way that you have to think. Like that's the second step. So like the first step is, you know, collect all the audiences, but then the second step is what is this cool thing I can do Yeah, that no one else can, uh, mm. that's related to, you know, it's tied into my music, um, that we could do with our fans. And so, yeah. Um, uh, and that's something that I'm now seeing pro wrestlers are doing. Like Chris Jericho is now doing a cruise, huh. uh, which is not something I would ever imagine. Like I would never put cruise and pro wrestling in the same <laughs> sentence, but that is something that he's doing. And it's brilliant because he's monetizing his fans yeah. in a, in such a way that it, that's fun. <laughs> you know, like when you say monetizing, I know everyone kind of gets a little queasy, right? Yeah, but, but he's doing it in such a way that everyone's having a good time. And so that's sort of the way that you need to, the way we all need to think. I mean, it's the way I need to think too. Mm -hmm. I put out my comics for a dollar. I put out my books almost for free. Um, the way I make money is through the speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, it's constantly about just awareness and making sure people know I exist and that I'm out constantly putting out new stuff. Um, yeah. because that's, you know, the speaking is how I pay for everything. And so <laughs> that's, that's the way that musicians need to think as well, because what, what's happened is that Spotify and streaming has kind of destroyed the economic model? Very much so. For musicians, <laughs> you know, like I mean, and, you know, I I can go on the whole thing about Spotify. I, I won't, but because <laughs> because they've taken that money away from you, they've put you in this box of okay, I can make money through merchandise sales. I can make money through touring only to certain you know, like everyone I mentioned in the um, Gabriel Allegria. Uh, crap, I can't remember the name of the bands. I'm going to Google it real quick while I'm talking about <laughs> it. Because their stuff is still out there and you should listen to it. And mm. I, like I said, I love Laura. 
Um, <laughs> it's Gabriel Allegria and the Afro-Peruvian Sextet. Okay. <laughs> uh, and Laura, uh, oh, crap, I can never pronounce her last name. <laughs> uh, but if we could, we could, we can put links in the show notes. Sure, right? sure. Uh, so like Laura uh, Legula, I, I can never say her last name. She's going to listen to this and like kill me. <laughs> um, but like, you know, like Laura also has her stuff online and her stuff is on Spotify and it's beautiful and mm-hmm. people should listen to it. But again, um, you know, like she gave me this great example of, well, if I have a kid, how do I tour? Right. You know, like, cause touring is how I make money as a musician. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? And so, you know, touring is not, it's a long way of saying that touring is not as easy an answer as people like it to be. Cause right. like, if you listen to most, most marketing gurus like to pretend that they know something about being a musician, <laughs> like working with bands and they don't, mm. but they'll always be like, Oh, you can make money back in touring. And it's like, no dude, what if I break my leg? What if I have a baby? You know, right. like, what if I, or like if you're like me and you have something something wrong with your central nervous system, <laughs> uh, you know, like you have days where you wake up and you're dizzy. Mm. You are not performing. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You are not performing that day. Like it's just not happening. So mm. what do you do? And so, it, you know, you've got to get like just really clever with, with how you make money. Right. And I mean, it's it's also just I mean, I'm also just kind of like bitching, but like the fact that you know, only some people can tour and those are the people that have gotten to a level that they are able to tour. And so, uh, I mean, I don't have that much of a musical audience. I don't have music on Spotify yet. Um, and so like, I don't even have a means of doing that yet. And so the other part is that like, now that people now that people at the bottom can't find their way up, uh, and even once you're up there, the way that people listen to the music, which is sort of the main thing that you're doing in the first place, uh, now, you know, a million plays on Spotify still doesn't give you anything. Right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because there's this very annoying catch 22 and I, I go through it too. Like if I'm not, if I'm not out speaking, then I'm not in the hunts for more speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. So like, or I'll give you another, like I'm trying to get into speaking at comic book conventions. Right. But in order to do that, I have to first get booked, right? Yeah, so you're yeah. like, you just catch 22. And so what you wind up doing is out of pocket, you got to fly down to like Fort Lauderdale and, <laughs> and speak at Florida Supercon if mm. your panel gets accepted. And then you got to pay out of pocket for someone to film that panel so you can send it to other comic book conventions. Right. So then what happens is this catch 22, uh, you need to tour to make money, but you need to spend money to start touring. Exactly. And it, it can be very difficult, especially when you're younger or when you're in college and mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of money to begin with. So, <laughs> uh, there's, there's no reason not to bitch about it. Honestly, right. Because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we've created this situation and it's not just true for musicians. It's, it's true for artists and presenters and, uh, just a lot of us who are creatives, uh, where, you know, someone the other day was like, I'd really like to get into comics. I said, okay, you have to do an eight page sample. He's like, yeah, but that costs a lot of money. And (laughs) my response was, do you have any idea how much I spent on like samples are bad comics that never saw the light of day? Sure. Uh, so I'm sympathetic to a lot of respect, yeah. but I've also spent thousands of dollars to, just 
to make a comic just to be able to promote it. Yeah. Um, but I, I also, you know, like I'm, I'm empathetic towards, you know, no, what, you know, who has eight hundred dollars that they're just sitting on, <laughs> right? That you could just blow on um, an eight-page comic, which, by the way, you don't get paid for. Uh, the artist gets paid paid for, and even that a hundred dollars yeah. is is kind of on the low side in terms of page rate. So, <laughs> uh, even the artist is not quite getting what they're supposed to be getting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it sucks. Like it's so I'm a big believer in um, universal basic income, and a big believer in universal health care coverage. Yeah, uh, through the expansion of Medicare, exactly because of what we're talking about. Yeah, because yeah. We've created a situation where if you are a creative and you're an artist you're not getting the opportunity to create. You're get, you Instead, what you're saddled with is most people that go to college now are working a job or they're working two jobs. And so yep. you're, not, you're not quite getting the, you know, the college experience because as soon as class is over, you're going to go and work a six-hour shift somewhere. Yeah. No, and then you're tired. So <laughs> it's weird. And then you might have family obligations uh, or you might have some other obligations. So where exactly in there do you have time to optimally put in mm. your best creative hours into your work. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> like we built a system that it's impossible to make a living for a lot of us and it's impossible to be a creative. And so mm. for that reason, I'm kind of like, okay, uh, let's, let's do universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've done studies. We found it does not change people's work ethic. So that's bullshit. <laughs> uh, you know, like a lot of, um, even, you know, like, you know, it's not quite a Republican defense because I've heard Democrats also, you know, they're just pro business mm-hmm. Democrats. Uh, who will tell you, well, we do universal basic income, no one's going to want to work. Right. Uh, it's not true. Because innately, as humans, we are hardwired for activity and action. So what what they found, there's a great book out called Bullshit Jobs. I think everyone should read it. Because <laughs> what he says is, you know, like, what what's going to happen is the, the dumb jobs where you're sitting around and playing at your computer for most of the workday, and you've got maybe an hour or two of actual work. Uh, yeah. Those are the jobs that are, that are going to go away. Those are the jobs that people aren't going to do either because of automation or just because they've got shit to do. Right. Uh, you know, like those are the jobs that we're talking about killing. We're not talking about killing jobs like being a nurse. Yeah. What you find is that people who I don't like the term blue collar job because I think it, that's dismissive. Um, but what what you find is that people who are plumbers, people who work a trade, people who are in the caregiving industry. Those people enjoy what they do. Mm-hmm. It, it fills them with a deep satisfaction because they're actually helping people. Yeah, those jobs aren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the bullshit jobs that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, when we say, <laughs> "Oh, no one's going to want to work," that's what we're talking about. But those yeah, jobs, yeah. those jobs are going to be erased anyway through automation within the next five to ten years. Right. Um, so you kind of have to have this universal basic income. And anyway, that's a whole, no, right. Whole. Well, no, I'm fully willing to go down this rabbit hole. Do you know about Andrew Yang? Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, for a presidential, a potential presidential candidate to make his entire platform universal basic income. I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I think it's genius. I think it's, you know, it's one of those things where you're running not quite the wind, but you're running for people to know what the hell this thing is. Right. Because if we're not careful, um, we're going to if we're not careful. And when I say we, I mean liberals, <laughs> uh, which I count myself among mm. uh, the Republicans are very good. And this isn't a, a knock on them. They are very good at framing the conversation. Mm. And the liberals and Democrats are not. So 
like they have successfully framed if you get disability, if you collect welfare, then there must be you're lazy. Right. That that's been a narrative that they've been pushing since the eighties. Mm-hmm. And they've they've pushed it successfully to the point where you get people who uh it's it's hilarious, but it's not hilarious, uh, where they're like, Oh yeah, I hate welfare and I don't want the government in my business, but at the same time, you know, they're collecting disability checks. Right. Right. Like <laughs> or or you get people who uh who hate Obamacare, but then they realize that they would lose their health care coverage from exactly. the Affordable Care Act. And they didn't realize that there was a difference. Right. <laughs> uh, and that doesn't mean that they're dumb. It just means that we, you know, people, people are very easily led. Mm. Uh, and the Republicans have been very good at being able to shape the debate. So if we're not careful, mm. what's going to happen is the universal basic income debate is going to be shaped by them. And they're right. going to say, if we give everyone money, then, uh, then I guess we have to get rid of Medicaid uh, or other social services and just mm. have universal basic income or, if we give everyone the money, no one's going to work. And then mm-hmm. how are we going to create the tax revenue to do this? And then the <laughs> response, the response should be, well, asshole, uh, we just created a billion or I'm sorry, a trillion dollars in tax cuts. And had we kept those, the the income that we gained through that would have paid for uh, universal health care coverage, which right. is true. That, that's something <laughs> that uh, that's something that PolitiFact recently fact checked with Bernie Sanders. Mm. Where they said, you know, the Sanders plan is the most generous plan that's been proposed for universal health care coverage. Mm. But had they not done the tax cuts, they would have easily had the money to pay for it. Mm. So this, you know, where does the money come from? How do we pay for this thing? Or people are going to be lazy. Like the, the Republicans are very good at, at driving those narratives. And we, sure. the, the reason why I'm so happy this guy is running for president is it, it's one of the ways to fight that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then actually kind of similar to like the what will people do? Uh, have you ever heard of the Venus Project? No, I have not. Um, so it it's obscure in the sense that like it it only showed up in like the Zeitgeist documentaries. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, if you've ever heard of those. But yeah, like, I've, I think I've heard of it. I just I'm not too familiar with the yeah. Um, so, uh, the Venus Project was uh, uh, the idea of uh, Jacques Fresco, a, um, a futurist, I guess is the term for it, but uh, he he died recently. He was 101. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and um, he actually grew up during the Great Depression. And so, what he saw was there's... There's food, there's resources, but because of the the arbitrariness of a stock market, a stock market and whatever, it, people didn't have food, people didn't have homes, people didn't. So he was confused by that, and so kind of looked at the system in a way that uh, if he were to start it over, what he would what should be done and what would be the most efficient way of running society. Uh-huh. Um, I like that. And I'm so, a big believer. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, go ahead. Cause I, I have a full train of thought. <laughs> so uh, I'm a big believer. So here's the thing. capitalism works, but, mm. um, cause I've noticed it's become popular again among my fellow liberals, sure. uh, to dismiss capitalism. Uh, it works. It is a very powerful economic force. The problem is it, it only works when there is a social safety net. 
mm. because it, in, within the system, it inherently creates winners and losers. Mm. So because we know, I mean, we have hundreds of years at this point of, um, of data, right? <laughs> or at least mm. 200 years of data that we could point to. Uh, where as long as there is a, so, a robust and healthy social safety net, mm. like a universal basic income or health care for all, mm-hmm. uh, or any other, like something like a disability, as long as those things are in place, capitalism is fine. Mm-hmm. The, the, the problem isn't capitalism. The problem is we since the 1890s, the Republican Party changed from the party of Lincoln to the party of corporations. Mm. Uh, and that's that's when they started taking corporate money and and saying things like uh, corporations are people, mm. uh, and yes. therefore you know, so that that's where all that change was in the 1890s. And so uh, when that happened, we we just allowed a, a very small group of greedy people to kind of dictate how we operate. And so that's sort of problem. It's it's not that people are bad or capitalism mm-hmm. is bad. It, it's just the way the system is set up now. Uh, your politicians listen to who pays their bills, and the people who pay the bills are the extremely, you know, not just the wealthy, but the, the extremely wealthy. Mm-hmm. And so because the extremely wealthy control the means of production, reality is shaped by how they see things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of what the issue is. So, you know, I, I, do, like, I like things like the Venus Project. Like, there's a number of things out there that are like that, mm-hmm. uh, which are kind of like, all right, well, you know, if we start from scratch, you know, day one, what does this look sure. like? I think the system is fine. I honestly do. I just think that we, we've allowed it to, to get corrupted. Mm-hmm. And if, if we could just fix it, then, you know, we can go back to the New Deal. Um, you know, under the New Deal, we, we had the biggest explosion in terms of, like, housing. We built roads. You know, under mm-hmm. Eisenhower, we built the interstate system. Like, we used to build things. Mm-hmm. And we used to tell people, you know, move to Long Island. <laughs> like, the, the, the <laughs> Levitt, Levittown was the first suburb. Uh, and they, they used to tell people, you know, American, you know, you weren't American unless you, you owned a small home with a, with a garage. And that was something that applied to everybody. And so we can get back there. We just we just have to have the will to to kind of fix the system a bit and have that safety net in place. Right. Um, what do you think about the because I, I do sort of have the, the issue of um, that whenever I tend to describe the Venus Project sort of being beyond government, beyond blah, blah, blah. It it sounds very communist. Uh, and so... What well, so do you, Star Trek. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so what do you think about the, the sort of resurgence in sort of communist apologism or ap- so, apologetics? Is that the word? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with socialism. Mm. Uh, there's, we, I think we found that communism itself doesn't work, but there's nothing wrong with socialism. Like socialism was, this is kind of the crazy thing about American history. You were more likely to find American farmers who were socialists than you were capitalists. Mm. And what happens is because we're very good at, you know, like, so people on an individual level have very good bullshit detectors, but when (laughs) you put people in a group, uh, our bullshit detectors get overridden mm-hmm. and it makes us susceptible. So you can have really smart people that just get susceptible to like crazy bullshit yeah. or things that are not true. And one of the things that happened was we were able to successfully brainwash people into thinking that socialism was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though out on the American Prairie, if you went out after Marx wrote his books, uh, you would find a lot of believers yeah, yeah. who said, you know what, <clears throat> this is the way to go. 
Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't have a problem with socialism making a comeback. I, I think that it's fine um, because if you look at Star Trek, that's basically what it is. Like Star mm-hmm. Trek, they have no money. Yeah. The, the key, though, the Star Trek that we don't have is the replicator. <laughs> uh, there's this great book called Trekonomics mm-hmm. where he's um, I think he went to Harvard, but like he's one of those well-educated PhDs uh, in economics Mm. And he was like, what is the economics of Star Trek and Next Generation? Mm. Because they're in the 24th century. They don't have money. You know, how does this, how does their society work? And what he, what he said was, once you factor in the replicator, mm-hmm. er, everyone's needs are met. Right. And well, that it kind of, it, that just, that's the end of capitalism right there. Right. Well, and that, it's, it's funny because that's one of the main points of, uh, the the Venus project is that if we use technology to be able to reach uh post scarcity then yeah there's no need for money anymore because things are now available <laughs> right and and so his that's that's his whole argument as well i and i think that i could swear he name checks the venus project i got to get back to read it uh, it would surprise me if he didn't but the thing he talks about is you know we move more towards a model based on reputation mm mm-hmm. Which is, you know, you do things because, you know, being a starship captain is a point of pride. Right. Yeah. That's something that's respectable and we work towards it. And being a doctor is respectable and something that we work towards. Being a teacher is respectable and something that you work towards. And so, I, you know, I think that we will get there eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) If we don't die. I think, uh, you know, like the 3D printer is the beginning of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously we're not 3d printing food just yet, but we're a hop, skipping and jump away from that. Yeah. And then once you, once we're able to 3d print food and water, I think then, then it's, then it gets interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, cause eventually soon enough, we'll be able to just kind of, I don't know, add protons to things and you know, here we have the elements that we need. Uh, <laughs> right. um, so, I mean, I guess eventually, yeah, but and and that sort of is kind of the the goal of something like the Venus Project is to uh, make everything available so that we don't have to worry about bullshit jobs or money right. or government. And um, so that kind of takes me to a, a broader tangent of um, artificial intelligence because oh, yeah. uh, uh, one of the things that I see happening is that once we have a a sort of better resource manager than humans uh, or corporations for that matter, uh, we can actually use the, the higher intelligence to be able to run the planet better. So I got bad news for you. Um, (laughs) Most people in the data science field will tell you that, uh, the hype around artificial intelligence is not quite, mm. uh, you know, it's not quite there yet mm. and it may never be. And the reason why is because ultimately the computer only knows what it knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a phrase in, in the data science industry, which is garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> uh, and so an algorithm can be incredibly good at certain, like an algorithm can be very good at automating jobs. Mm-hmm. Because if I can break your job into a series of small steps mm-hmm. uh, and then I can break those small steps into specific tasks, I can automate that easily. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, it's just telling the computer, okay, if you do A, 
uh, B will happen, and then if this computer does B, you know, C will happen. Like so, like it's, it's very easy mm-hmm. to do that. What's not so easy is to go, okay, I've got all of this data. Um, okay, wait, let me let me back up. There's this, <laughs> there's this great there's this great sci-fi story uh, that's called the Cold Equations mm. uh, by Tom Godwin, and to, to really briefly describe it, what he says is uh, there's this ship. And the ship is guided by an algorithm and, and uh, a computer kind of dictates how all the ships fly. So mm-hmm. the algorithm only knows what it knows, right? So if mm-hmm. it says only only one person is on the ship, then it has just enough fuel for one person. So what happens is a stowaway gets on board one of the ships. Mm-hmm. And the rule in uh, that that world is that you know stowaways have to be killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to jettison them immediately because you don't have enough you, you don't have enough fuel uh, because mm. the algorithm says you're not going to make it uh, because it didn't factor in for it didn't have an X factor mm-hmm. basically. So this little girl uh, gets on and you know it becomes it's really sad like it's it's a depressing short story sure. and she tells you their whole story that she said you know she wants to say goodbye to her brother who's on the planet and then at the end the guy blows her out of the airlock. Mm. Uh, it was really controversial at the time. Tom God Tom Godwood wanted the girl to live. Uh, the editor of the magazine that published uh, the story uh, kept changing the ending over and over. He's like, no, she has to die. Uh, and so the concern with the algorithms isn't quite, you know, that they'll be bad, but there's that trolley problem mm-hmm. uh, for people that watch The Good Place. Mm. Like that, you know, like there's this problem of if X happens and you have algorithms in charge of everything, mm-hmm. uh, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And then what do we value more? Do we value human life or do we value um, the mission or whatever this thing is doing? So sure. I, we have that right now with the self-driving cars. Mm. There's there's a considerable question of if you own a self-driving car and a pedestrian is crossing street and in order to protect you, in order to protect you from an accident, mm-hmm. the car has to kill the pedestrian. Right. Is that okay? It. And that's like, what are the moral implications of that? Yeah. And, and it does become a very, uh, very quickly, we have to factor in morality with artificial intelligences uh, or algorithms, uh, which is sort of a baby AI. Uh, (laughs) And so what what they, what the data scientists will tell you is that if you, if you're anyone listening to this is looking for a job, what, Mm -hmm. what the emerging field is going to be is people that work hand in hand. With mm-hmm. the AI, like it's it's not good to think uh, that this stuff is binary. Like the, you know, it's AI or nothing. Right. Yeah. You know, what what's more likely to happen is it's AI plus humans. Mm-hmm. So like the AI will be like, hey, I think you should do this, and the human will kind of go, okay, yeah, sure. But the AI, you know, they might disagree, or they might, mm-hmm. you know, they might be able to feed another data set into the AI that mm-hmm. the computer didn't know about up until that point. Right, uh, and the, yeah, so it, I think that's what what you're looking at. And that's what the the field of the future really is. Mm-hmm. Is going to be you know interpreting mm-hmm. what the AI says and then uh, communicating with it and training it, and because it will never quite get to as as sophisticated as it will get, it it won't quite get to the level of human decision making just because of the speed that we make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we don't have we just don't have the processor power. No, we don't. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think people don't realize that. I think that. We've run out of. We're starting to run out of space on motherboards for chips. Uh, you know, we can only shrink them so much, and we can only put so much into mm. 
into those smaller chips. And like the thing we always hear about Watson, we always hear about all, how awesome Watson is, but we don't hear about how Watson overheats, you know? And like mm. when it was on Jeopardy, they were, they were desperately trying everything they could to cool it down. <laughs> but like, you know, it was pushed to its absolute limit. Mm. And the only reason why, why it won Jeopardy is not, is because Jeopardy is a closed game. There are only <laughs> so many answers in Jeopardy. Mm. So it's very easy to feed all of those answers into a computer. Mm. Like uh, an algorithm can win Go or chess because there's only so many maneuvers. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of maneuvers, right. but there's a, there's a finite data set mm-hmm. that, you, that you feed into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, humans, for better or worse, uh, are able to interpret all sorts of chaotic random variables just by the nature of our existence. And, uh, and intuition. We, and we, <laughs> you know, and we do that without overheating our brain. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just like, I, I think AI is great. I think there's a lot of great things that are going to mm. come from it. I think we're going to find a cure for cancer and a lot of diseases through AI, <laughs> but uh, I, I am not quite on the bandwagon of it's going to replace everybody. Right. Well, I don't, I don't know if it'll replace everybody, but it, uh, I, I, maybe I'm just, very optimistic about technology and that that really yeah, is yeah <laughs> and i think it's good to, it's i think it's good to be i think that there's a lot of great things that are I, we live in an interesting time because if you look at virtual reality if we can if we can solve the latency issue mm-hmm. and the space issue <laughs> you can you'll see that really take off and what i mean by that is like the reason why people get nauseous is not because they're using vr it's because the speed of the computer that's drawing the environment, uh, and it's not fast enough to catch up with the way human eye, the human eye interprets data. Mm. Uh, and because there's this lag, even though you don't notice the lag, your brain knows that there's a lag, mm. uh, your eye knows that there's a lag, and that's why you get nauseous. Mm. But if we can solve that, and we're getting closer and closer to that uh, through, uh, you know, I, again, it's a, it's a processor issue. You know, it's the same issue with AI. Uh, if we can resolve that, then virtual reality is going to do a lot of great things for uh, people in, in the healthcare field. Hang mm. on. <coughs> for people in the healthcare Plus. field, I uh, think for people in the education field, because what we found is that the brain interprets virtual reality as if it's real. Mm. And so you have a lot of great use cases there uh, that we just can't quite solve yet, but we're, we're going to get there. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's exciting. And if, uh, you know, the thing with VR is that VR will probably never work in your home because people are increasingly moving into apartments. Uh, 80% of the United States population by 2020 will be living within an apartment and not a house. So Mm. you only have so much space. And in order to really immerse yourself into VR, you have to have room to move around and not like trip over the cat (laughs) right? or smack into something. Uh, And so what you're going to see are these caves and they call them. (laughs) Uh, And the cave is just a room that's geared towards VR. You know, it's got the cameras everywhere so it can capture right, yeah. uh, your body movement and we can put on the vest so we can capture like the tactile <laughs> movement and your heartbeat. So that's probably where that's going. So it's a very exciting time mm. because that stuff, you know, that stuff has been around forever. Mm. They talked about VR in the fifties, but in order for you to do VR in the fifties, they had like this giant headset <laughs> and it was really uncomfortable and you couldn't move and it made everyone nauseous. Mm. Uh, Today, you can go out and buy a Google Daydream uh, and stick your Android phone into the Google Daydream and experience VR. Uh, it, it's not a great version of VR, but it's a pretty <laughs> cool it's a pretty cool interpretation of it. Sure. 
Um, and sort of going further with the like technology thing, where do you think the internet is going? Uh, especially, I mean, if we can be optimistic about, oh, well, now we're going to wake up to, you know, start focusing on our privacy um, and where where can the internet go from here? Because now it seems like the internet has sort of been reduced to like in in some large part like Twitter, Facebook and stuff. But there's so much greater than just the social medias, but the internet itself. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think Facebook is the internet, um, which isn't new because back back in the 90s, people thought AOL was the internet. Right. Uh, in fact, Tim Berners-Lee, who created the World Wide Web, was pissed at the people who, quote unquote, created, they didn't create it, uh, who created Netscape. Hmm. Netscape was actually a ripoff of, of a government-developed platform called Mosaic. Uh, they were just smart enough to, to turn a profit on it, <laughs> is what it comes down to. So, uh, you know, like even back then, Netscape was trying to market itself as if it was the internet. So mm. uh, throughout the internet's history, you know, we, we've had like this corporatization mm. where everything eventually becomes like a handful of companies that, that sort of own it. Um, where I think really there's two things to that. First is that uh, in the United States, we don't realize that we have pretty bad internet. <laughs> like if you go overseas, see, especially in like South Korea or Japan and China, mm. they've got ridiculously fast internet like they <laughs> they have what um it used to be called internet 2 i don't know if it's still around but internet 2 was like this fiber optic line that would connect universities in the united states and so if you were at the university of ottawa mm -hmm. and you had the ottawa orchestra and you were at suny potsdam uh there used to be a fiber optic cable that connected the two mm -hmm. and so you could take the crane school of music and have students play along in real time with Ooh. the people in Ottawa. Yeah. Like that's how fast the internet is or could be. We if don't only. yet have that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, we, so I think that there's still this thing that's yet to happen where we actually get high speed, like real high speed internet in the United States. You know, people forget there's still 20 million people with dial up. Yeah. Uh, oh, you geez. know, and there's people that have DSL or worse or the, you know, they've got, <laughs> cable internet, but it's not great for a bunch of reasons. So, uh, I think that once that happens, we'll see where this goes. Right. Cause I still think there's a lot of things to be developed. I mean, we really can't have, for example, the self-driving cars until we have 5g wireless internet everywhere. <laughs> and, and that might not be realistic in a place like New Mexico or right. a place like Oklahoma or a place like Cal you know, California to a lesser extent or a place like Nevada where you've got like these huge patches of well, not occupied, but you know, just land wasteland. <laughs> you no, know, it's just, it's, it's, so you've got that, but then you've got this thing that's coming with AR where the internet's going to be in the glasses. Mm. Um, or, you know, the, your phone, it can be used like Snapchat lets you basically use AR. Um, mm. what, like your phone is now, the screen is now your key. Yeah, board, yeah. Basically like your, your camera, your camera app is now, the main way that you would interact with the internet. Mm -hmm. You're like, you don't need a web browser anymore. You just need the camera open. So <laughs> there's a lot of questions around that. And then, so that's, that's really where the privacy issue is going to be. Right. Uh, because we're going to get there first. You know, <laughs> Apple will eventually have AR glasses. Mm -hmm. Microsoft has the HoloLens, but the HoloLens is really fucking ugly. Uh, 
Like it's it's just disturbingly un- uncomfortable and not and good to wear. It doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon because right. it was yeah, revealed like two years ago. Yeah, it's out. I mean, you can own it. Like <laughs> I, I, I've played with it. It's but it's super expensive. Like if you want it, it's like three thousand bucks. Right. Uh, and I was an editor at a tech publication that they, they you know they sent us a Hololens. Yeah. Uh, I got to play with it a little bit, but the question of privacy is going to be if I'm wearing smart glasses, so like Apple is coming out with the smart glasses either this coming year or next. Uh, so when they come out, if I'm wearing smart glasses and I can pull up your entire uh, Wikipedia page, like if I look at someone and I start sure. pulling up stuff about them, am I invading their privacy? <laughs> you know, like if I could run, you know, Facebook has the world's largest database of faces. Mm. Yeah, the world's largest database of facial recognition uh, because they captured everyone's faces. So if I'm using Facebook and I take out my phone and I'm at like a bar or something mm-hmm. and I hold it up and I'm and I'm scanning the room with my phone on Facebook and Facebook is saying, hey, uh, that person over there is single. Mm. Uh, she recently, you know, like it starts giving you their whole like Facebook history. Right, yeah. Is that creepy or is that cool or is that, you know, <laughs> And so that's that's sort of the privacy issue that we're that we're starting to right. Towards. Well, and that's why I really appreciate stuff like Black Mirror. That uh, while very dark, uh, it allows us to sort of take a glimpse at the possibility of like, hey, if we don't do anything about this, uh, this is what we'll get, and right. it's really freaking scary or really freaking creepy. So maybe we should, you know, reconsider that uh, net neutrality thing. Maybe we should well, you know, reconsider the privacy thing. <laughs> it's, it's the Jurassic Park rule. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all because you can do it doesn't mean that you should. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I think that a lot of us have forgotten that lesson. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like that's one of those things where, okay, AR glasses, sure, it's cool, but... Um, all because I can do that, you know, should I be doing that? I don't know. All because I can clone something, does that mean I should? I don't. You know, <laughs> I, I think we just need to have that conversation. <laughs> what is what is next for, uh, well, I guess, what is next for email then? If that is the, the post-Facebook thing, how, oh. how is email going to oh. become the social media this is the hilarious thing. Uh, SMS and email are never going anywhere. <laughs> like there, there are a few things I can state in life with absolute certainty. <laughs> uh, I will die before email outlives its usefulness. Uh, and the reason why is simple is because yeah, let, let me back up. So <laughs> you have to remember the, the internet was developed by academics and universities and, and the government. So everyone had to agree on certain protocols mm. in order for the internet to work, in order for the internet, for, for our computers to communicate with each other. Mm. Like we all had to agree on, on certain things. Sure. And we agreed on those things all over the entire planet. <laughs> so email is one of those examples of something that you can't recreate it mm. because in order to recreate email, you would then need ev- absolutely everyone who was able to get and send and collect email you would need that entire infrastructure, which we don't think about, uh, which everyone agreed to around the globe to change. Mm-hmm. And it's just not happening. <laughs> there is no there is no way it's happening because governments, you know, people will act out of self-interest or corporations will act out of self-interest mm-hmm. and stop those changes. Or then you've got 
the emerging third world, which is where all the growth in the area that is really coming from, because in the Western world, the area that has hit a saturation point for the mm-hmm. most part. Uh, you know, now we have a question of how fast is your internet in the Western world, whereas in the developing world, you've got people that are just now coming online and they're coming online with email and SMS. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why is because they can email anyone in the world. They can SMS anyone in the world. Yeah. Uh, so those protocols, which if you want to change, you should be changing them right now, are now getting ingrained with the next generation of internet users. Yeah. Uh, and that's, so that's why I can safely say it's never going to change. Like, it just isn't going <laughs> to happen. Uh, even in, you know, like we might get more video based, um, you know, that was, I don't, I don't know if you remember, um, how old are you now? I'm 22. Okay. So about 10 years ago, Google was like, we're going to kill email. <laughs> uh, and they were like, yeah, it's this new thing. It's called Google wave. Uh, and we're going to replace email and Google wave turned out to just be this really creepy thing. Uh, and you know, like it just failed. And the reason why I failed is because everyone had to get on board mm-hmm. all over the planet and say, okay, um, you know, I agree that we're going to change. So, uh, because of the way the internet was constructed and because we've allowed these greedy corporations to then take stuff, the government developed and right. monetize it much to our detriment, uh, we're kind of stuck to a certain extent with mm. the way the tubes work. And so you're always going to have email. Right. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the idea that, uh, like, uh, I don't know where it originally came from, but uh, uh, Chris Ryan, uh, he wrote Sex at Dawn, but uh, he's writing a book called uh, Civilized to Death. And uh, he's working off of the idea that corporations are sort of a, a higher organism um, in, oh, it's seen this. Yeah, in, in yeah. the uh, sort of how like herds are moving as a single entity, but uh, an entire herd can sort of stampede off of a cliff, even though none right. of the wildebeests in the herd wanted to go off the, the cliff. Uh, yeah. And so it, in the same way, uh, Chris Ryan always uses the example that if if a oil company executive uh, in a board meeting goes, we have to stop what we're doing. We have to save the planet. We need to make sure that we go entirely green uh, right now. He'll he'll be fired immediately. <laughs> right. I mean, that's exactly, that's that's sort of the problem. <laughs> and the problem is, you know, a lot of the means of production and wealth is encapsulated among a very small group. Mm. Uh, and that's a very small, a small group that relies on Wall Street to tell them what to do, <laughs> even though Wall Street is an a, a active reflection of reality. Yeah, uh, it's it's a reflection of their reality. Like if you look <laughs> at the stock market, there is absolutely no logical reason for it to continue climbing the way it is. Mm. You know, like every, everyone who studies economics right now will tell you, it's a wild. If you Google the, the phrase "wily coyote economy," <laughs> uh, like it's going up, but we have absolutely no idea why. The, the reason why is because among the super wealthy, Trump is great. <laughs> you know, the, the, tax, the tax cuts are great. They're, yeah. they're they're making a killing. So of course it's going to go up. Like, but it has no reflection of the larger reality. The problem is, yeah, we're all getting dragged along for the ride. Um, I don't really know how you fix it because in order for humans to interact with each other successfully, we, we kind of need these larger organizations. Uh, we, you know, whether it's a tribe going way back when, or right. it's a state or it's a government, we, we just, we've always needed like a larger infrastructure mm-hmm. in order to get anything done. Like the mm-hmm. is a good example of if we didn't have this agreement, excuse me, among all the academics and the government, 
this thing would have never happened. Mm-hmm. The internet would not exist. It would, it would <laughs> not come about. Uh, but because we had the governments cooperating with each other, because we had uh, all these academic institutions cooperating with each other, we were able to build consensus. Mm. That's why, like, I get, I kind of laugh hysterically when when the conservatives uh, have this conspiracy theory that the United Nations is going to take over the earth. <laughs> and it's going to be one large government ruling everything. Because the first thing that you learn about people and organizations is that we're all disorganized. Yeah. And so we need a certain layer of bureaucracy <laughs> uh, between, you know, like we're never going to have one supreme layer. Like there's, mm. there's always going to be like these little, there may be fewer layers as we evolve over time as humans, but uh, there's always going to be multiple layers. And we see that mm. in Star Trek too. Like, you know, you've got the <laughs> ship, but the ship has an admiral and you're right. And that they report to and the admiral reports to the United Federation of Planets, which reports to this council. Like, there's always going to be some kind of bureaucracy. Sure. Uh, so whether it's a corporation or a government entity, there's always going to be something there. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's also because the the organism of the corporation uh, has its own motive. Uh, right. And so how... I know this is like a big question, but I'm just asking it towards the air how do we change the momentum of the 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 corporation's goal of maximize profits at all costs well we've seen it uh we've seen it throughout history is that we we regulate them mm. uh i mean teddy roosevelt is a great president maybe not such a great guy um <laughs> depending on like you know like teddy roosevelt's one of those people that he's i hate the term problematic because <laughs> uh, because because it gets overused. Um, mm. But to me, Teddy Roosevelt is the perfect definition of problematic, <laughs> where he did a lot of wonderful things. But at the same time, you're like, uh, I think you were also kind of a white supremacist. <laughs> so I don't know if I could really like you. Know, he's, he's one of those people. Uh, the reason why I mentioned him is that for all the, for good, better or worse, he was a trust buster. Mm. So he came in and said, Standard Oil, fuck you, you're out of here. Yeah. Uh, you got because you know, I think people forget that we're not historically far removed from these ridiculous monopolies. Mm-hmm. Like this is just a repeat of what we saw in the 1890s and mm-hmm. the 1900s and 1910s uh, with the Gilded Age. Mm-hmm. And how we stopped it was we stepped in and said, "We don't mind you making money. We mm-hmm. mind that you regulate how the food is made. We we don't want you putting." cocaine in coca-cola that's not okay that's not a thing uh a lot of people don't realize this because procter and gamble has gone out of the way to to shelve this history but they accidentally invented heroin (laughs) because they you know oh yeah yeah it wasn't supposed to be against like headaches yeah it was supposed to be to treat headaches and pain Mm. so i'm not saying like they set out to do something evil but what happened was this thing was flying off the shelves (laughs) <laughs> uh, and they they were like, okay, well, people are buying it. We're going to keep making it. And took the government stepping in and being like, yo, you can't you can't sell you people can't heroin. just sell heroin. <laughs> like, this is not this is not an okay thing. Uh, so, but that's that's how we stopped them. Is that we stepped in? And we mm. said, we don't mind you making profits as long as the social safety net is in place because mm. the capitalist system creates winners and losers. Mm. I don't like the term loser, but yo, know, it creates people who don't benefit from the system, and so. Mm. We need to protect and help those people. Mm. Uh, we don't mind that you do this as long as, you know, you don't do something that's greedy and stupid, like the violating net neutrality. We just saw that. It's like we just saw out in California. Yeah, yeah. That. Uh, Verizon was throttling their unlimited data. 
which is the height of stupidity on their right. part because now, now you're definitely getting regulated. Yeah. Um, but that's that's how we've stopped it. it. It's always been this. It's not that history repeats. Uh, you know, Mark Twain said the history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. Mm-hmm. And so we've sort of seen this thing throughout history where people get greedy and then people get mad and step in and regulate them and everything's fine for a while. And then those people get greedy and then it happens all over again. So mm. um, that's sort of the answer is, you know, yeah. Uh, you sort of see it with Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez and mm. other social Democrats uh, or liberal Democrats where uh, their entire platform is we need to regulate Wall Street. Right. Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. their their whole thing is we can have universal health care as long as they pay their taxes. Like right. Apple, Apple is the most profitable company in the world. They have billions in unpaid t- taxes mm. that they, they refuse to pay. You know, GE pays no taxes. Uh, if you just had those companies pay their taxes, you could fund universal health care. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the fix. Like, that's my whole thing is mm. my whole fix is I don't if you guys want to be greedy, fine. I'm not going to stop you. What <laughs> I am going to say is just pay your taxes, mm. because if you pay your taxes, I can pay for universal basic income. Right. And the art, the, then the artists can create art. And then, you know, people who need to have these expensive Cancer treatments can have them paid for. Mm. And then it's fine. You know, like I'm not asking you to stop doing what you're doing. I'm just asking you to just, you know, fair is fair, pay your mm. taxes. We pay our taxes, you pay your taxes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, even though this would sort of ended up as me sort of asking you questions, anyways, uh, I have two more questions for you. Sure. Uh, one, uh, what are your goals? Your, oh, uh, my goals are actually really simple. It's to date this girl that I really like. Um, <laughs> because I'm one of those people who, you know, look, I could always make more money, right? Like mm. all of us, we could always wish we made more money. Sure. Because any creator will tell you, uh, I remember sitting with this guy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name drop him, but he, New York Times bestselling author. He's an editor at a really popular magazine. I love his writing. He's critically adored. And then every time I meet and we get coffee together, we talk about money. <laughs> because like if you're a creator, no matter what level you're on, you are always struggling. Yeah. Uh, because even if your book did really well, like social media's bullshit did really well. Mm-hmm. But that was six years ago. Yeah. You know, like that was a long time ago. So <laughs> you're constantly like, oh, shit, I got to put out another book. Oh, shit, I got to put out a comic. I got to get on the road. Mm-hmm. So, yo, look, I would I would love to make I would love to be a little more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think we all would. Um, so that's certainly a goal. Uh, and how I get there is easy. How I get there is just through the speaking engagements. If I could just book like 10 of those a year, <laughs> 12 of those a year, then I'm fine. Mm. Uh, and that's not a lot of money. Like I would make $80,000 or so a year. Mm. Uh, which is which is just enough for me to pay all my bills and to make comics, mm-hmm. and that's fine. That's all I want. I don't want <laughs> stuff, you know. After I had the heart attack, I realized I could go through life very happy, not owning things, and so I've been able to par down my life to like to the bare essentials almost. Yeah. Uh, so I want that, but honestly, that's it's just to date this girl <laughs> uh, and to go out and date pretty people, girls and guys. You know, like it's it's just a, uh, it's just that. Like it's very simple. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know that that sounds very basic, but what you find is no, it's great. Once you, oh, and once you create stuff, there's nothing more to do but create more stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like my my goal was to, to write a book, and so I did it. My goal was to be a public speaker, so I am. So my goal my goal was to be a comic book writer, so I am. So, mm. yo, know, it, it's 
I, you know, I sometimes joke with people about maybe I'll run for office, but uh, I'm kind of like, all right, well, I'm an atheist. I suffer from OCD. Um, <laughs> you know, like I'm bi. Um, like I've got all these things. Right? I've got mm-hmm. all these knocks. So it's just like I'm Jewish. So we haven't elected a Jewish president yet. Um, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. Like it's it's so I joke about that stuff. But to me, it's just I want to keep doing things I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going out and dating people is something I enjoy. Like yeah. that's, uh, um, that's rewarding and fun. Cause I just like, I like <laughs> playing with people. I like interacting with people. So if I could keep doing more of that, yeah. I've, I've reached my goal. Yeah. I like that a lot too. Uh, and then my last question, do you have a question for me? I do. <laughs> what is, what is your goal? Um, the, the sort of like, I guess bigger goal uh, is to make things that have an impact on people, I guess, emotionally, but hopefully also mentally, philosophically, whatever. Um, But the, I guess the short term goal is uh, have enough stuff coming my way that I can make o- make enough money off of music and not have to worry about where my next paycheck is coming from. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the creator's goal. You know, like that is honestly the, every creator's got that goal. And I think uh, I, you can, the good news is you can get there. The, the bad news is it doesn't happen anywhere near as fast as we like it to. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, and I mean, I acknowledge that the there's a possibility of, like a, I think you you said it in 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 your book, uh, but like, if your goal is money, you will get money, um, and that's that's just not my goal. Like, if it would be nice, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but I don't really, I don't care. I don't need a lot of things. Uh, so I really just, you know. To put it in the worst way possible, I don't want your your money. I want your soul. <laughs> like I want right. to want your attention. Yeah, I want yeah, like- to make music to to make you cry because I've listened to music that makes me cry, and I really cherish that experience. And I hope that I would be able to do that for someone at some point. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know what's great is it's an attainable goal, because that's the kind of goal where if you just show up every day and put in the work, then you can definitely get there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, BJ, thank you for doing this with me. Uh, this oh, has yeah, been thanks. a great, uh, well-rounded, future-looking conversation. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you hitting me up on Twitter, and I know that it's. It's strange to uh, communicate over the internet and uh, make friends over long distances, but it's really cool and really interesting, and I'm glad to have talked to you. Yeah, likewise. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I, uh, I hope that you know someone listens and they get something out of it, and that's all that matters. Yeah, that's... That is really my hopes out of the podcast. I'm throwing it out into the ether. I don't know who listens to it, but people do apparently sometimes, and they tell me about it. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's what matters. Um, so where can we find you and your things? Everything's at bjmendelson.com.
<laughs> like nice and organized. All right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can find all the fun things and involved in all of the stuff that we talked about just now uh, right there on that website. <laughs> oh, um, cool. And so, yeah, I, uh, gosh, I need to find a better transition into my outro. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, you know, I have for, I don't know, I, if you listen to uh, a, a episode of the wrestling podcast I do, it just <laughs> ends. It, it just ends and then there's a little voiceover that comes on and says, thank you for listening. Uh, tune into blah, blah, blah.com. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, there's never a good way to end it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, in the way that I always try to do it, I'm Santiago Ramones. And then I gesture at you. I'm BJ Mendelson. <laughs> uh, you can find everything that I do on my website, Santiago I make music, which you can, uh, download or buy, pay however much money you want or no money at all. Um, and I make this podcast, which you can listen to on most of the platforms that are very easy to listen on. I think it's easiest to listen through the, whatever podcast app. Uh, but you can also leave reviews and let me know what you think. Uh, I always end my podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. Love it. <laughs>